0: If you got a Bible, and I know you do because you're at church, open it to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't, there's some on the back table. Oh, kids can go. It's never going to happen, is it? It's never going to happen when I remember. Uh, Kids can go or they can stay. But this is the time to do it. All right, now, if you need a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. If you got one, Matthew, actually chapter 6, did I say 5? Let's not go back there. Let's go forward. Let's go forward. And if I can get there today, we will be in verses 16, 17 and 18, which says when you fast, Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, The reason the other pastors gave me this text is because I am an expert at fasting. Um, don't take that seriously. <laughs> total, total joke. I love food. Total joke. Uh, I'm not an expert at this, um, and I'm too ashamed to actually unpack that for you, uh, but this is not one of my things, and I and I think, uh, so the, the joke kind of fell on me as as the three pastors moved through the text that God put this one on me. I think he thought that I really needed to look at this, and, and consider this. And so, uh, it, I have and it's been good. As we go through this, I want us to remember that in our Bibles, particularly, uh, where Jesus preaches, like the Sermon on the Mount, like what we've had in chapter 5 and what we have here in chapter 6, that there are layers to the exposition. There are layers. And so, for instance, in chapter uh, five, we had subjects in there, right? Like anger, and oaths, and divorce, um, and and the like. Okay, those were subjects. Those were actually sublayers. The top layer of chapter five was not anger and oaths and divorce. The top exposition of chapter five was that we have all sinned and fallen short of the of the perfect righteous standards of God. That's the top layer of the exposition, with those subjects. Um, uh, Jesus using those subjects to to share the top layer with us. Okay, six is the same way. We talked first about giving to the needy, then you heard about prayer. Now you're hearing about fasting. Those subjects are not the top layer. The top layer of Jesus's point in sharing these subjects is don't be show-offs. That's the top layer. Of his exposition here, okay, and so um, we're we're primarily our job is to focus on the main thing, on the top layer, to make sure we know that and we discover it and we grab onto it and we walk out of here with that, um, right? But the subject does matter too, and so we're gonna kind of start off by talking a little bit about fasting. We're all pretty much Gentiles in here, so I don't think any of us are fantastic at it. Probably, um, maybe, maybe, maybe some of you are. Um, but I want to start by saying this. Um, in my 30 or so years in the church and local congregations and local churches, um, there, there is a, a pretty widely accepted, established um, pool by Christians of big sins. Of, of big sins that Christians all agree upon, no matter... Uh, where, where you go, uh, there are things that we focus on. There are things that we speak strongly against, uh, that we speak pretty loudly against. Uh, for instance, like homosexuality. We would all look at homosexuality and we'd be like, top tier sin. Like that's one of the worst ones that there are. Mostly probably because a lot of us don't have that tendency in us. We don't do it. So we look at it and we're just like, that's the worst sin ever. And it's and it is horrible. It's a horrible one. Uh, abortion. I think especially lately in our culture, our context, everything socially that's been going on, I, th- I think when, when people don't regard life as something valuable, precious, and from God, uh, I think Christians look at that and they go, that, "That that's a biggie. Like, this is one of the biggest ones. This is one of the worst things that you can do. Okay? Uh, I think uh, that, that, that drug addiction is often that way. People that are in just complete and utter bondage uh, to drugs, which I think the Bible calls witchcraft. You can... We can talk about it later. Uh, as a guy that used to do uh, a few back in the day drugs, uh, I would attest to that's what it, that's what it was. Uh, it was when I look back at it and I see what, what it was and what it did, it's witchcraft, all right? Uh, it's being under the control of something that's completely counterfeit, affecting everything that we need <laughs> desperately. Um, and so we could look at that uh, as a big one. Sexual immorality, and I'm talking about like the gross... Like perversions of it, whether it's in the form of like uh, uh, pornography addiction or rape or pedophilia. I, I think we can look at those as Christians and be like hell burns hotter for those people. And um, and, and then there's this other sin that's super big. Uh, like in our Bibles, uh, our Bibles talk a lot about this other sin that the church doesn't say anything about. And it's called gluttony. Um, that just means habitual greed or excess in eating. It's the misuse, the idolatry, even, of us with our food, right? So, so like contrary to what we think, gluttony doesn't care about what your weight is. It does not care. It isn't determined by whether you weigh four hundred pounds or three hundred pounds or two hundred pounds or one hundred pounds. Like it, it, it does not care. It has to do with a heart posture. That that places food in the place of God, like just like anything else on our uh, sin lists. So so it's that which places food as the primary object of satisfaction and fulfillment and gratification at any given time, over and above the one who gave us the food. So it's a, it's another classic case of of us throwing ourselves at and worshiping the gift rather than the gift giver. Which I don't know about you, but I'm like an expert at this. Like I'm so good at this. God will give me something good, like really good, in my life that's meant to be enjoyed and meant to be a blessing, and I'll just throw my heart at that thing. Um, and it'll take me a while uh, to actually like acknowledge and, and and place my my affections and my and my thanksgiving towards the one who actually gave it to me. It, it all goes into the gift. We do the same stuff with um, with our food oftentimes. And and, and yet it's not at all uncommon for the sin of gluttony to fly completely under the radar in the church, like completely. Be honest with me. When's the last time you guys ever heard a sermon on gluttony? This one ain't going to be it either because we're talking about fasting, but I I just kind of like want to shoot this arrow over the wall before we get to fasting because we don't like I've never heard one either. And I've been in like the church, like all my life um three times a week. I don't know how many sermons that is, if you multiply it out, it's a lot. And I and I don't I don't ever remember like hearing this, you know? But I mean like we're Americans. Like we like food. We like baseball and food. You know what I mean? So so we go to baseball games and get food. They're our favorite our favorite pastime, right? It, it, it's easy for us to ignore in our lives as well as others the abuses and the sinfulness of food worship because it is necessary. Right? Like, like we kind of need it to live. Like, like God designed it that way. And so it's easy for us to not pay attention to how we use it. Or how we view it. Right? We just eat. And, and we don't, we don't think much about it. And we prayed before every meal that God would bless it, which is good. That's acknowledging the, the gift giver over the, over the gift. And then we, we go on about it. And again, I don't want to get too far into the weeds about this because it's not our subject today. Gluttony. But again, I just want to shoot an arrow over the wall. Something to consider. It's something that I was considering this week as I was going through this. And so I just thought I'd make you miserable with me. <laughs> All right, now to fasting. First off, what is fasting? Well, fasting comes from the Hebrew word som, it's S-O-M, which means to abstain from food. So um, when, when it was implemented by God for religious purposes to the children of Israel back in the day, it had to do specifically with food. We'll come back to that. However, you and I can find other examples in our scriptures of abstaining from certain activities for certain purposes Without the word "fast" being used, um, there's lots of examples in our Bibles where it's beneficial for you and I to abstain from something that might distract us or take away from our focus or devotion to God. For instance, if you get to like First Corinthians chapter seven, in the first seven verses, we have Paul talking there to a husband and to a wife, to a married couple, about their sexual relations together. That's what it's talking about in the first seven verses. And he and he tells them that, for, first of all, he assures them that, that the woman's body is no longer her own and the, and the man's body is no longer his own, like they now are owned by other people in regards to sexual relations. And then he says, if you guys agree to, for a limited time, devote yourselves to prayer and fasting, cease from that sexual relation, but do it only for a limited time. Why? Because then Satan's gonna come in and he's gonna do a number on your marriage if you abstain too long from this thing. You're going like, really? Our Bible talks about stuff? Yes, our Bible talks about stuff like that. Like we're just like, I don't know what it is. We're, 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 we're too ashamed of some of these things, I think, to, to, to share that our Bible, t- God talks about these things. Like it matters that if you're married, that, that, that you are, uh, that your sexual relations together is health, is a, a healthy one, a good one. It needs to be, or else Satan might just jump right into the middle of your marriage. Okay. The point is, sidetracked again, weeds. Weed, I'm weeding it today. Um, weed whacking. Um, the point is that that is basically a type of fast, is what we're given there. It's a sexual fast without using the word fast. There's a time for us to abstain from certain things that are good things, activities so that we can d- devote ourselves more clearly, more fully to God. And hearing him, so. Um, but the word "fast" itself, when it's used in our Bibles, speaks specifically to the abstaining from food. So, what do we see fasting used for? Okay. Like, why do we do it? It seems like one of those things that's just kind of a weird thing. Maybe there's a little bit of mystery to it for you, a little bit of mystery to it for me. Um, so, uh, just with a, with a, with a brief survey of the text that came up with four things, uh, that we see there in our Bibles concerning fasting. Number one, fasting was used for a depth of feeling or a depth of emotion during times of distress or trouble or grief or mourning. Right. Oftentimes, you and I want to do the opposite in those times of distress and grief and mourning. But but we see in the Bible clearly that it was used for clarity during those difficult times. Clarity, both in our feeling and our heart. Um, and, and this is interesting to note because, like I just said, you and I will oftentimes do the opposite. We're not looking for clarity when we hurt bad. We're looking for medication right? We just want the pain to stop. We want what we feel to stop. We want it to go away. We do not want to experience that which you and I are in the middle of. So we will turn to alcohol, or we will turn to try to find some way to laugh, or we will turn to our food. We will turn to things to medicate so that we do not have to feel the fullness of that which we're feeling. And we see this being uh, a practice throughout the Old Testament. Uh, we see it in places like 1 Samuel chapter 31, where if you remember, um, there we have uh, the Philistine army comes against the Israelites and a battle goes down and it's not much of a battle. Like the Philistines handle business on the Israelites. Not only do they handle business, they kill Saul who was the king at the time and then Saul's three sons. They kill those guys, they push Israel back, the whole army back and they win the battle. So later on, after the dust settles, what we see is uh, Israel sends some dudes back out onto the battlefield to recover the, the bodies of their king and their three sons. And they grab the bodies, they bring the bodies back, and they burn them, and they bury them, and then the entire camp of Israel fasts for seven days. For seven days, they're just feeling this, and they're taking this in before God. And you'll see a lot of examples of that in the Old Testament, not all have to do with death. A lot of it just has to do with any kind of calamity that might be happening either personally or nationally um, where people would cease to eat so that they would gain clarity in their mind, clarity in their feelings, clarity um, just emotionally um, so they would be thinking clear. Number two, fasting could be used as a sign of repentance. We see that in places like First Kings 21, Joel 2, my favorite, Jonah 3. Love the story of Jonah. Um, Jonah finally makes it to Nineveh um, because he was awesome and willing and wanted to save those Ninevites. Um, and so, uh, no. Uh, so God finally gets in there, right? And he shows up and God gives him the word to preach. He says, you're going to go in, you're going to preach to these people you don't want to preach to, and this is what you're going to say. In 40 days, you guys will come to nothing You will cease to exist in 40 days. You will cease to be a people. You will cease to be a nation. And the text says that they believed God. They believed God and they repented. They repented. And out of that repentance, they activated a citywide fast. Check this. This is the weirdest part. Not just on the people, but on the cattle. Right? Like, on the animals, too. So, like, a bit of trivia for you. If you ever looked at the very last sentence in the book of Jonah and thought, that's the weirdest way to end a book, which says uh, that he he saved uh, the Ninevites and much cattle. Period. End a book. Right? That That's that's what it's connected to, is if you go back to chapter 3 of Jonah, where they received the word of the Lord and they fasted. The, like, that's why it says that. Like, the, the cattle was, pun intended, their bread and butter. It was the Ninevites' bread and butter. It was everything. It was their livelihood. It was it was that which was most valuable to them. It's why they existed and continued to exist because of the commerce that went on there with their cattle. If they would have lost their cattle, they would have been in trouble. And so it makes the note at the end like, and much cattle. But they didn't just call for a fast for themselves. They called for a fast with that which was most important to them. Out of what? A heart of repentance, of believing God and turning to God. They ceased to go to other things for a while, right? Pretty cool stuff. Uh, fasting could be a sign of cleansing. This is actually where it comes from. If you know your law well, uh, I think it's, it's Leviticus chapter 16. I don't know my law well because I had to look at the reference right there. Um, Leviticus chapter 16, we had this thing go down that's called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Right. And this is the only place this is actually the first place and the only place where you see fasting explicitly commanded like you need to do this. And this is where it was is in Leviticus chapter 16, where God goes to Moses, gives him strict, detailed instructions concerning the ceremony that was called the Day of Atonement. And one of the instructions was that on the seventh month of the tenth day of that month, they shall not eat. And the reason that they would not eat that day is because that was the day that God was purging their sins by taking their sins, the priest, and putting it onto the goat and sending the goat out into the wilderness. They were not to eat that day. So it was like, it's something that spoke to or signified cleansing happening. All right? But I think that for you and I, when it comes to to fasting... I think that um, the most important text that I have found... Um, I can't... I don't even know what I did with my papers. There we go. Is is maybe in, in a section of Scripture that's considered obscure. And I actually think it's the most clear, like the most revealing, for why fasting has significance to you and I. And if you turn a couple pages to the right, to Matthew uh, chapter 9... Um, then we will see what that is. Now we're not going to go crazy on this because we're coming up on this, right? We're moving that way, uh, so someone's going to be preaching on this in about the next five or six years. So just <laughs> just hang in there. See, we're like, yeah, we're not coming here anymore. Yeah, we're 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 doing all right. We're making some progress here. Matthew chapter 9, there's this interesting thing, conversation that happens in chapter 9, verse 14, where the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus, and they have a question for him. And that question is this, the disciples of John came to Jesus, verse 14, chapter 9, why do we... So the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees. Luke's account will say actually include like the disciples of the Pharisees. So you've got this group of disciples and this group of disciples. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Question mark. And Jesus said to them, "Can the?" it's a parable, right? It's always a parable. (laughs) Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. What is it that we do when we all come together and all is well? We eat. And this church knows how to do it. Right? Like, like we feast. Have you ever noticed that, that food goes really well with joyous, celebratory occasions? like a wedding ceremony or a family get-together or a graduation, holidays are that time when families come together under one roof. And it's just like it, it makes sense. It seems so appropriate in that moment at that time to share food together, right? That's what we do when we're together. It goes really well. Really, It's a really natural, appropriate function to eat during those times. Have you ever noticed how food does not go well with occasions of tragedy or loss or separation, right? I don't know what you do when you're really troubled internally with something, but I will say things to myself like, I'm not hungry. You know what I mean? Like, like I feel sick. Uh, I don't even want to think about food right now, right? I'll say stuff like that to, my, to myself because when, when we're deeply troubled, we know that we need something more than what food can give us. It's a small thing in that moment, right? There's other more important things, more necessary things. And, 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 and so fasting speaks to, plays to, especially according to Jesus here, a sense of longing, right? A sense of longing. Have you ever had this as a believer? Like, there are days, there are times in my Christian walk where the only thing that I can get out is like Maranatha. Like, come quickly. Lord Jesus, I want to see you. I want to be with you. I don't know if you ever do that or not, but that's the longing that we're talking about. You don't want the separation anymore. You want to come together with Christ. You want to see Him in person. Be in His presence. This is what Jesus is saying here. A dude named Robert Hawker says, the Bible gives us both fasts and festivals, one to mortify the body, one to gratify it. And there is a season for each. There is a time for each. And Jesus is saying to his, these guys here and, and to us, my disciples have no reason to cease from food right now because we're all together. Like, think, like we're good, right? We should be eating since we're together. In fact, Last Supper, when, what's one of the last things that Jesus said at the Last Supper, right? He knows what's about to happen, right? That that, 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 that Like, he's looking forward to the next time they're going to be doing this look ahead to when when they do it anew in their father's kingdom when they all come back together going to eat like first like right away okay and this is really what he's what he's communicating here all that to say when we speak of fasting where it came from what it's for etc all that stuff it's important to note that to the jew to the children of Israel, which would include John the Baptist's disciples, like we just saw in 9, which would include the Pharisees' disciples, like is referred to there, even Jesus' disciples, fasting held significant value. Significant value. It was a very established practice part of Jewish culture, tradition, and life. We can also conclude, because of what Jesus says in 9, Jewish or not, that it is a benefit it is a benefit to all who look to God at all times, in all places. It is a benefit, even the non Jew. So even, even though fasting is not ex- an explicit command, um, in fact, here's another piece of trivia. Nowhere is, is, is fasting like explicitly commanded or talked about in the epistles to the church. So in the New Testament where you have it, you have it spoken of a couple of times by Jesus in the Gospels, and then you have it twice in the book of Acts, once in chapter 13, once in chapter 14, when the largely Jewish church came together and fasted collectively. That's it. Like, there's not a lot. But we do know that it's very beneficial for you and I as disciples of Jesus for this purpose right here. Okay? Okay. You can run further into the study if you're interested and you will be rewarded. The Bible always rewards us when we, when we dig into things. Having said all that, let's go to the text. You guys are like, really? We're actually going to look at our, we're actually going to look at the text now. We're going to look at the text now. Um, we don't need a ton of time on the text because, like, it's pretty straightforward. That was one of the, that was one of the better things about, uh, getting this one compared to some of the other ones that we've had lately is what's being said is pretty straightforward. It's hard to mess it up. Okay, Like, it's hard to do gymnastics with it and uh, try to play with it and, you know, fill 45 minutes. Like, it's it's pretty straightforward. So, uh, verse 16. Uh, I need to get there again. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. First of all, who are the hypocrites? All right? Who are the hypocrites? Um I think that if you're familiar with, with the other teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, it's pretty clear. It's the religious leaders. I, I think the, the, the clearest place that we have of this, um, this category, uh, this identification of a certain people, people group, is when you move to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, you have this thing called the seven woes. You guys familiar with this? It's a gnarly, gnarly, heavy section of Scripture. I don't ever really um, like imagine as I'm reading Scripture like Jesus being really, really, um, like really letting loose. But when you read chapter 23 and the seven woes, I think you do. I, I think you understand in his righteous anger like he is letting loose. And so what it is is seven proclamations that he gives there that we call the seven woes, and they each start like this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, comma, hypocrites. Hypocrites. Seven times. And then he makes these statements. Like he, he, it's clear that Jesus gave these guys that title. That category belonged to the religious leaders. And what Jesus is saying here back in, in six, he's, he's saying, you know those guys? Um, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Why? Well, because they're show-offs. They're, they're total show-offs, they fast so that you will see them. They fast so that you will see them, so that you will sit up and take note. It's all about them. It's done by them, for them, so that they will be seen by others to appear, appear spiritual, religious, godly. And they're not. This is what Jesus is saying. And and Jesus assures us that the appearance of godliness before men would be the only reward that they will receive from what they're doing. He says that there. Truly I say to you, they have have received their reward. What is that to be seen by others? To be seen by other men. That's exactly what they wanted, that's exactly what they got. Hope you enjoy it. You know? That's it. There, there, there's, there's nothing else. And how would they do this? Well, they would do it by visually, physically enhancing the effects of their not eating so that everyone would go, You poor thing. You're really going through it right now, aren't you? You know what I mean? Like, like you're so awesome. I I, I wish that I could be like you. Or maybe they would say something like, You sure do love God because of what you're doing. Or... God really must love you because of what you're doing, right? Jesus, Jesus says they look gloomy, and they disfigure their faces. And I'm trying to think, as again a Gentile Westerner, uh, what this would look like uh, when you don't eat. Like, uh, like were where, they sitting around like punching themselves? Or, or were they, um, like bruising themselves up? I remember when you were a kid in elementary school, there was, there was one or two really talented young people on the playground that could flip their eyelids up and they would look like zombies. And I'm thinking like, is this what they were doing? Are they just like flipping their eyelids up so that they could walk around? Like, yeah, that's stupid, silly. Probably not, but like this is where my brain, my brain's going. So, so like it turns out that, that what like commonly goes along with, with the act of fasting is getting low like in the dirt low, like face down into the dirt low. That would not be unusual. That would be normal for people fasting. Not only that, there would usually be a supply of ash at hand, and ash would be sprinkled over your heads. That was a part of fasting as well. So, it's 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 more likely that what was going on outwardly was this. People were seeing... That which comes with the internal hardship of fasting, which is the external practices of dirt and ash, right? Um, and that's all, that's all fine and good, uh, until you wear it around so that others can see what you're doing, which seems to be what they were doing. By the same, by uh, by the way, the same could be said for those who talk about fasting all the time. I know that there are Christians that, uh, that feel very led to do this often, um, and um, they will let you know. We probably all know those Christians. Uh, keep it to yourself. You know what I mean. Like if God's leading you to do that, go do it for Him. You know this is this is what we're talking about here. So, um, and what this is really, when it comes down to it, the top the top layer of what we're reading here. Is yet another example, reminder of how you and I can take good things that are even God things and make them bad things. We can take good things that are God things and we can make them bad things, including the eating of food and according to this text, even the abstaining from food. We can make both those things that are good bad. We can make fasting a bad thing just like we can make praying that came before it last week, a bad thing. Just like we can make giving to the needy, which came before that the week before, a bad thing. All good things that are God things that we can completely ruin. We can ruin them. We can ruin anything. That's what I found. I can ruin anything. I love the Lord. The Lord loves me. He's done a lot of work in me. There's been a lot of transformation that's gone on. I am not the dude I used to be, but I do know that I can still ruin anything. Anything. Even our best works are tainted. Even our best works are tainted. I have no idea who said this, but I heard this quote once, and it blew my mind. I wish I could figure out who it was. And that quote is this. Jesus saw my best works, and then he died for me. Jesus saw the best in me and then he went to the cross. That was his response to what he saw. Like like that's what we're that's what we're talking about here. This is what Jesus is bringing out here. And I, and I found I found myself doing this just 2 weeks ago for something that a lot of you were praying for. When I went over to Gary's parents' house to try to share the Lord with his dad It's because he's coming towards the end of his life and he doesn't know the Lord. And we want this man to be saved. And we want his wife to be saved too. Gary's mom and dad. And so Gary come up and he's praying for it. And all you guys knew about it so that you guys could be praying for it. And I got up really early one morning. Brent actually ended up going with me. He didn't go into the house with me, but he went over to me with me just to keep, you know, keep me awake. Yes, it was really early when we had to go over. And so Brent's there, and we're and we're getting closer. And and the more we're getting there, my head's playing tricks on me, and it's seeming just like an impossible thing to do. Like I'm going to have like 35 minutes to go into their house as a stranger and try to preach the gospel to them. And I have no idea how this is going to go, or if it's going to go, or if it's going to work, right? And I'm getting texts from you guys on the way over that are like praying for you, brother, like praying for it. And and the more that. Um, that my head's playing with me, the more that I start thinking, wouldn't it be rad if, like, I went in this house and saved the day? You know what I'm saying? Like, all these people are paying attention. I'm the messenger. Like, I'm the sweeper. I, I, I'm the dude coming in with the gospel to this impossible situation. Like, how rad would it be if I just go in and handle business and they fall down? And they're like, what must I do to be saved? And everyone's like, yes! Like, David, you guys all saw A Christmas Story, right? Right? If you haven't, repent. Go home, watch it. One of the best Christmas movies there are. You got a point where Ralphie is like writing a theme for Christmas about his Red Rider BB gun, right? And he's imagining... He's imagining it being received so well, it blows his teacher's mind and it blows his classmates' mind that that they throw him on his shoulders and like and like parade him around the class. This is what I'm this is what I'm thinking as I'm going into Mister Phyllis's home. Is it wouldn't it be rad, right? Like I'm thinking of how I can be the savior going into something like this rather than being just consumed with pointing to the savior. Like it becomes all about me. Like that quick. That's how quick I ruin something. And I look at, I look at texts like we're in, or 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 like Matthew 23, the seven woes, and I see Jesus talking about these hypocrites. And I don't know about you, but every time he does this with the religious leaders, I'm like, I'm like, get them. Like, get them, Jesus. Like these guys deserve it. Like, don't hold back. Let them have it. And I don't even realize that he's talking to me. To me. I am that guy. I am that hypocrite who can make something that's about him about me. And it's disgusting. And I'm probably not alone. And it's really nice and convenient for us to to cut up this text and read it to parse these people out like oh you've got the really bad people the hypocrites over here and then you got the kind of sinners they were just Jews that were ignorant and then and the, like we can like chop these things up and and he's talking to us we all have hypocrite in us we all have this desire to go look at me look at me look what i did for him we're like i don't know about i carry around a trumpet and i blow it often Because I'm my biggest fan at the end of the day. And I hate to admit it. And it is disgusting. And I am ashamed of it. And it does trouble me. But that's just the truth. I'm not fooling anybody. I'm my biggest fan. That's why these words matter to me. That's why I need to look at this text for what it's saying. Because God ain't having it. God wants something else. By the way, keep praying for Gary's parents. They did hear the gospel that day. The Lord did open a door for the gospel to come out. Um, I even got a hug from his mom, which I heard like doesn't happen very often. so like I, I, I did feel like a rock star coming out of there. Um, so keep keep praying for them. We want to see the Lord just completely capture their hearts. All right. So the question is this, once we realize how filthy we are, that we are the hypocrites, where do we go? Like, what do we do with that? Like, this is the most important thing. What do we do with that? Where do we go? Where do we find relief and exoneration and absolution from our absolute miserableness of sinfulness? We go to Jesus. We go to the one talking. What we need, once again, is imputation. That big I word. Imputation. to have, We need something imputed to us. We need a gift given to us. Because it's, it's not able to be found inside of us. So we need it from outside of us. That is Christ, and that is His work as a non-hypocrite so that I may be identified before the father as a non-hypocrite. We need imputation. Right. Did we see Jesus fast well? Yeah, we we saw Jesus fast well. If you remember uh 2 years back when we were in chapter 4, um <laughs> we remember that like when he goes to inaugurate his 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 public ministry, uh he goes out and he's tempted. By Satan he doesn't eat for 40 days where does he go the wilderness who the heck is there nobody's there he goes to the wilderness where nobody is there are no f- helicopters flying overhead there are no drones with gopros strapped to them so that we can all watch it on youtube later you know what I mean There was nobody in the stands or in the bleachers cheering him on. He goes to the wilderness, hungry to see his enemy, right? Who is there? God, the Father. The Father is there. There is an audience of one, and it's the only audience that would ever matter. And Jesus knew that, and he shows us that. The Father was there. That's who was watching. That's who he was doing this for. And therein is our lesson in the fulfillment of fasting. So Jesus says here in verse 17, he tells them, uh, clean up. Like, clean yourselves up, right? Wash your face. Put some product in your hair, like some good, get a good hair jelly, one that smells good preferably, and uh, and run a comb through it, you know what I mean? Like make yourself presentable like you would any other day that you would go out into public. Like do that, right? Stop doing the look at me thing, stop showing off, there's somebody more important to Impress. There's somebody more important to please. There's somebody more important to gain. And it ain't man. It's not a man. Tripping out. Which brings us to what we need most. We're going to close here. We need God's reward as opposed to the reward we think we need. Okay? We need God's reward, which is found in the backside of 18. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Right? And what is that? It's a question of the day. What is that reward? What is that reward that God has for you and I when we do what we do unto Him and not others? He is. He is the reward. He's the reward. More of Him. An increase of Him in our lives. He is the reward. Right? Genesis 15:1, he had, he had to assure Abraham of this, like right from the get-go, because Abraham's like got a lot of stuff going through his head that God's telling him is going to happen, and it's like, no, these are impossibilities. I'm not the right guy, and I, and I have no idea what's going on. And he has to tell him, "Fear not, Abraham, for I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I am it." The name of the game, whether it's in giving or whether it's in prayer or whether it's in fasting, is more of Him, less of us. More of Him, less of us. Like, peop- like this drives me nuts a little bit with heaven, because people love the idea of heaven. We love the idea of this cosmic candy land. You know what I mean? Um, that, that's just going to be rad, right? But you know what makes heaven heaven? Him. He's there. He is the reward. He is the reason why heaven is heaven. And, and if we want this, this thing, right, that we construct and we imagine in our minds without Him, there's a good chance you may not be there. He is the prize. He is what makes heaven unimaginable. That He is there. That He is there. You know, this is really what we need. The church right now, is spent, we need a higher view of God. Which leads to a greater need for God. It's, and I think we all know that as we look around and read our headlines and listen to the news and look at just the, the trajectory of the decline of the absence of God. Not only out there, but even in the church. Even in us men. We need a higher view of God so that we will have a greater need for God. We do not need a chest-bumping ministry. You know what I mean? Like, we don't need that. We don't need a ministry where we sit around and get in touch with our feelings together. We don't need that. We don't need a ministry where we grab our axes and we go out and chop wood for the day. We don't need that. We, we need more of Him. We need a higher view of Him. And when we get that, you know what will happen? We will be the kind of men that God is looking for. We will be better husbands. We will be better parents. We will be better employers, better employees, better neighbors, better leaders in our community, all the way around. We will be men after God's own heart if we have a higher view and greater need of Him. Like, I think you are too. I'm over the sissy stuff. That's going, in the, that's going around in the churches. And again, the answer isn't like, let's get more masculine and, and like throw an axe. Like I'm not saying that. It, like, like, the, like the greatest thing that you and I can do, the craziest thing that you and I can do is throw ourselves that much more at the foot of the cross. Higher view of God leads to a greater need. And fasting is one of those ways, guys, while we wait, that we might be able to Slightly eclipsed, like just just inch, a little more into him, who he is, what he wants from us. But it is for him. It ain't for this. Do your business with God because he's real to you and you need him. And I'm saying that to myself. I have to repent of this over and over and over again every single day when my I try to put myself back in the spotlight. No, I'll just ruin it. There is no power there. You know what I'm saying? There's no power when I am the center of this Christianity thing. But there is power when Christ is. And so we keep Christ in the spotlight with all that we do and all that we are. Lord God, thank you so much for this text. Once again, thank you for shooting straight with someone like me. You know me well. I thank you for the sword of your word that cuts deep. And, and that fillets, that, that actually, like, does surgery in the darkest, hardest, um, ridiculously prideful areas that exist in me. I thank you that you see all, you know all, and that in spite of that, you still died for someone like me. Praise your name that it is all about you, that there is one spotlight at the end of this whole thing, and there's only room for one person under it. And that is you. And so we thank you for who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.